This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by Lexible and their digital media community, Police One. Access free COVID-19 policies, courses, and additional resources through Lexipol's Coronavirus Learning and Policy Center. Available at coronavirus.lexipol.com. Hello, and thank you for clicking and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiling. Hey, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, it's April, and throughout the course of this month, um, there's a little bit more of an emphasis being placed, editorially speaking, here on Police One, um, on cold cases. And there's a staggering number of cold cases. Why don't you give me a quick pricey, uh, you know, Nancy Perry, our colleague, our our friend, uh, did a really interesting IACP quick take uh, back in October, I believe, uh, where she outlined some really staggering statistics with regards to cold cases. Right. And you can find uh, Nancy Perry's uh, article, uh, IACP Quick Take, Five Ways to Solve a Cold Case. Uh, October 26, 19, uh, our editor, Nancy Perry, Starts out with roughly 40% of the homicides that occurred in the U.S. from 1980 to 2016, an estimated 242,000 remain unsolved. So if you let that sink for a little bit, think about it. In your own own agency, uh, you might have certainly a fraction of those. But think about it. Those cold cases mean... uh, You have a victim, you have families, you have survivors, and you have someone out there, maybe dead, but maybe alive, that still may be um, creating havoc on the rest of the population. Um, Great innovation, great DNA links, uh, great uh, detective work, real detective work uh, by investigators who use the DNA database and ancestry uh, databases to solve cold cases. Um, genealogy uh, information that you can use to track suspects without actually having uh, a sample from the suspect, but you have a sample from the, the crime scene. The Golden State Killer success was a direct result of this kind of investigation. So, um, how do we how do we start with these cases? Well, we give them usually to a seasoned uh, investigator, mm-hmm. someone who knows the tricks of the trade, someone who can go back, research the case files, find out uh, the gaps, maybe techno- technology advances that we didn't have back in that day. And we're talking probably when we talk about cold cases, we can talk about cases from the you know, 60s ish 60s 70s yeah. 80s 90s yeah. um and understand the understand if you can read through the chronology of an investigator's file what was missed what uh didn't happen that should have happened what's a glaring oversight um i remember when i first got in the investigators bureau um i remember some investigators opening a file making a couple phone calls at the end of the day closing a case now these weren't homicides but these were violent crimes Mm -hmm. and sometimes they close the case because they couldn't get in touch with a witness or a a victim's family and you 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 would assume that 
much more effort is being done in the case of a homicide or a serious violent crime. Like rape or sexual assault right. or what have but, you. Um, you know, in, in days when, say, say take the 80s, when they were the roaring 80s and 85 with the crack epidemic, cases after cases of violent crime and uh, you got through your day by trying to get through your case file and if you kept it for a week and you didn't get that contact, then maybe that was that. Mm-hmm. So um, recognize relationship changes in the passage of time, uh, Nancy writes. She talks about leveraging forensic science and technology, identifying the investigative errors that I just talked about, exploiting information in the correctional system. And this one was really fascinating where she says that consider who was in jail at the time. Right. Um, talk about, uh, think about talking about previous cellmates, but being cautious not to tip them off into alerting uh, their former cellmates uh, if they're still in contact with them to tell them that you're coming. Um, look at uh, track records of people with similar crimes. Um, go back to the canvases that were incomplete. Um, look for the the follow through or the lack thereof, uh, and then revisit the the scene. I got to tell you, in my experience as an investigator, if you went back to the scene, uh, that was so valuable. In, in in the violent crime section that I worked in, uh, oftentimes we would get a case, a report made maybe the night before by an officer who was out at the scene, violent crime weapon involved, suspect in custody or suspect escaped. And they wrote the report, but they don't have a, a, a weapon and they have very few witnesses. You go out to the crime scene during the day now, you may have the witnesses that were not there at night. You're in daylight. You can see better. You, if you look under cars, you might find a weapon. Uh, there's so much more that you can tell. You can, you can look at uh, points of view, perspectives, windows, that uh, might not have been so apparent in the nighttime hours when the officer was there for the original crime. Mm -hmm. I want to just quickly get to one other piece of this um, puzzle, the puzzle that is cold cases. Um, And that's the importance of a resolution or a closure for the victim or for witnesses or for people who were involved in some capacity. And that cold cases for them, they remain open. And, you know, an investigator or an agency that doesn't have resources to devote to, you know, digging into something that happened in 1985 during the crack epidemic. And, it, you know, essentially it gets ignored because of the fact that there's other stuff to do. You know, law enforcement has to kind of deal with today's stuff, right? But th- that piece of the, the cold case it remains alive and really vital to the person who was victimized or someone who was traumatized by witnessing something. Right. Um, And the fact of the matter is, is that you're really serving those people as well as the agency, of course. You want to close your case. You want to make sure you come to some, you know, legal conclusion for the person who uh, committed a crime. Sure. Ensure that they are not going to reoffend if, that means prison or if that means jail or if that means rehabilitation or if that means some sort of medical treatment, whatever it means, however that resolution happens. Um, law enforcement, of course, is interested in making sure that, that that conclusion comes, you know, to an end, right? Right. 
but it's really important to bear in mind as you're going through the process of the investigation of a cold case that the, the people you're really serving are those who would have been victimized or traumatized by witnessing something that transpired some number of years ago. Absolutely. And you never know. You make that one case connection, you solve the case, may open the door to link to other open cases. And in fact, you raise a really interesting point. If you've been able to resolve a cold case in your jurisdiction, that may lead to the resolution of a cold case across the country, across the county, someplace elsewhere in the globe. Because, you know, you have, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, you've got a person in Southern California now who's been sentenced to 23 years in prison for committing at least two uh, sexual assaults, Harvey Weinstein. Right. Right. At the time of this recording, you know, he has just been convicted. And in the event that, you know, but now he's going to go out to California yep. and he's going to undergo another legal proceeding right. for at least four other cases. Sure. So it, once you've solved kind of one thing, it could lead to a whole variety of other cases being closed elsewhere. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the days of the silo investigations back in the 60s, 70s, 80s um, were, were much more amenable to reach out to other jurisdictions, local agencies, other investigators. We have networks of certain types of investigators, um, homicide, robbery, auto theft, fraud, that uh, the information flow is better. But when you read some of these case files, there, there are great podcasts out there that they're, they read like crime novels, where when you actually learn the, the, the details of these crimes, you actually scratch your head wondering, well, why didn't they look into this? Why, why didn't they solve this? It's, it's apparent mm-hmm. they should have done this and this and this. So um, go in with fresh eyes, open up that cold case, use today's technology to so- solve yesterday's crime. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much, you know, we've mentioned before in a previous podcast, there's Ancestry.com, there's all the genealogy sites, there's so many opportunities to, and you mentioned the, the California killer, right? Where the information is there, you just have to find out how to get to it, right? Yeah. What are you guys doing in your jurisdiction in terms of uh, working on cold cases? How many cold cases do you have? Um uh, Send us an email to policingmatters at police1.com. That is policingmatters at police1.com. Thank you again for listening.